and uh, we are jumping into a new series called The Art of Lament. How many of you, when you hear the word lament, you already feel depressed? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, the, the lost art of lament, in the Western world, we really don't understand what lament is. And I just want to thank uh, Nani. She, she um, has gone through lots of uh, tough times in her life, but she read this book, and she said, John, you got to read this book. And I started going through it, and I said, you know what? Our church really needs to understand this principle of lament, especially with everything that's going on in our culture today. Um, and so uh, there's a I forget the, the title of the book, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, um, but the principles of this book have really helped me process a lot of the uh, dark times that we have um, come through in the past couple years. Um, one of the things that, that has helped me, how many of you have experienced some dark times in the past several years? Anyone? Raise your hand high and then look around. So you know you're not alone, that a, a lot of us have gone through challenging times in the past uh, several years. Um, and our expectations of God and our expectations of this world a lot of times affect the outcome of how we respond to the things that we experience. And um, how many of you are married? Raise your hand if you're married. How many of you, when you got married, you thought that it would be the best experience, the most romantic, the, the most effortless experience in the world, and it would just be puppies and rainbows for the rest of your life. Nobody? Just me. I, I think a lot of us, when we, because of what we see on TV and what we watch in the movies and all of that, we think that marriage is all about us. And I really um, appreciated Pastor Lance and Pastor Zach, and they shared a message a couple of weeks ago on the university of selflessness and how the whole purpose of marriage is not to make you happy, but it's to make you like Christ. How many of you, when you got into marriage, if you thought, if you thought that marriage was all about you and all about making you happy, nobody would last very long in, in marriage because you get through marriage and when you get married to another person, all of a sudden now you have to sacrifice for someone else. You have to share a bathroom with someone else. You have to pick up hair on the ground. If you're a guy, guys don't have to pick up hair on the ground. You never see hair in the refrigerator when you're a single guy. But now, when you have kids and half of them are girls, you open up the refrigerator and it's growing hair. Like, where did this hair come from? And, and you have to share. You have to share everything now. And, and then when you have kids, you have to share your wife. How many men are happy to share your wife with your kids? It's all quiet now. Mitchell raises his hand back there. Because family and relationships aren't about us. It's about becoming like Christ. It's the university of selflessness. And if we understand that family is about becoming more like Christ and becoming less selfish and more selfless, then every single time we need to do more work around that and wash the dishes. And I, I hardly wash the dishes, but when I do wash the dishes, anyway. Um, thank you, Jesus, that I have kids to wash the dishes. Um, where, where am I? Oh, 
So I remember my dad, he told me when I was young, he said, your marriage is going to go through three uh, stages. You're going to have your honeymoon phase. How many of you love the honeymoon phase? And then after the honeymoon phase, what is it? The conflict stage, right? You have honeymoon, and then you have conflict. And then after conflict, when you become less selfish, then there's stability, right? And then after stability, you have another honeymoon. And then conflict and stability. Then honeymoon, conflict, and stability. And so every single time you go through conflict, know that if you get through the conflict and you process it well and you become more selfless, that there's going to be stability. And at the end of stability, another honeymoon. Amen? Amen. I, I, I envy old people that, that older people that look at each other and say, we love each other more after 60 years than the first day we got married. How many of you want to be that? Yeah. And it takes honeymoon conflict stability. Honeymoon conflict stability. The, the problem is when we have the wrong expectation and we think it's just honeymoon, that when we get into conflict, that we, uh, some people just check out. And when they check out at the conflict stage and they look for another honeymoon, what they don't understand is they're going to jump into another honeymoon, but what's going to happen? They're going to get back into conflict. And so every one of us, we're going to experience Honeymoon, conflict, stability. And th if we have that expectation that's right, then it gives us a fighting chance to be that 60-year-old marriage looking at each other and saying, I love you more than the day that I got married. And that's hard. My grandparents, they're both passed away. Because <laughs> I... <laughs> Mokihana's laughing at me because I just laughed at my grandparents passing away. I didn't, didn't laugh at them passing away, but just a thought came to my mind. My mind is always ahead of what I'm speaking. But my grandparents, they lasted forever. I don't know how many years they were married before they passed away. Mom, how many years were they married before they passed away? Grandma and Grandpa. You don't even know. Yeah. But, but I... I remember, I remember one memory just sticks out in my mind. <laughs> and my grandpa was, was walking my grandma to the car. And uh, he opens the door for her like a gentleman. And then she goes into the car. And then he waits for her to scoot in. And she doesn't scoot in. She just stares at him. And at that point in their life, my grandpa could hardly walk. And so he's like looking at her like, you know, <laughs> move in. And she just looks at him. And she slams the door. <laughs> and I'm in the driver's seat, and I'm looking at her through the rearview mirror, and she's just shaking her head like that. And I see my grandpa slowly walking around the back of the car, you know, hobbling. And then I hear her say the words, stupid old man. <laughs> and I was like, I want a marriage just like that. <laughs> That's why I say it's hard. We can stay together, but anyway. Moving on. Um, why did I tell that story? Because a lot of times we have expectations of our relationship with God that might not be correct. And if we don't have the right expectations with our relationship with God and something goes wrong, then things can get messed up in our relationship with the Lord. And so with, in our relationship with the Lord, there's 
a lot of times we, I grew up in church, and, and a lot of the expectations that I had is if, if I do things God's way, I should have a, a perfect life. How many of you ever thought that? Like if I pray and I'm a good Christian and God tells me to do stuff and I listen, that I'm going to have a really good life with no problems and no heartache and no loss and no tragedy. How many of you ever thought that? Okay, how many of you still think that? No, don't raise your hand. You know, there's, there's scriptures, right? It says, in, I don't know the reference, Pastor Eddie, the reference. Seek first the kingdom of God. Thank you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what happens? All these things will be added to you, right? And we hang on to that scripture, and that scripture's true. But let me give you another scripture, and it's at the top of your notes this morning. Let's read this at the count of three. This is John 16, 33. The count of three, one, two, three. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. You will have suffering. You will have tragedy. You will feel loss. You will, will feel pain. That is the world. He doesn't leave it there, he says, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Which one is correct? That God will add all these things to our lives or that in this world we're going to have tribulation? Both. Both. In Ecclesiastes 7 verse 16, let's read the scripture together. One, two, three. It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all all extremes. God says, don't let go of the promises of good, but at the same time, don't let go of knowing that you're going to go through some tough times in life. Somebody who loves the Lord and fears God will avoid all extremes. They'll, they'll walk the balance of two truths. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about the art of lament. It's, it's, it's something that the Western world has forgot about because we look at grief and loss as something bad. We look at it as something to avoid, something to silence, something to ignore, but God doesn't teach us to do that with our sorrow and our pain. He teaches us to lament. Let's, let's pray this morning. God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that in every circumstance and in our lives, that you are in control, but even as you're in control and you don't cause pain in our lives, you've given us the tools to walk through it. Even David said he walks through the valley of the shadow of death and he will fear no evil because you are with him. And God, you are with us even in the darkest valleys of our lives. And you've called us to this forsaken art of lament. And God, I pray that you would help us to understand lament and to have a foundation in our lives that will not be shaken when the times shake us. Lord, that you would build within our hearts and our lives a firm foundation that can withstand the winds and the waves of, of our time. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, amen. Lament. Lament is the believer's way to process loss. Everyone say that. Lament is 
the believer's way to process loss. Why is it important that we understand lament? Because in this world, we will have pain and suffering. How we deal with pain and suffering will determine whether we become better or bitter. And a lot of people don't know how to process loss, and, be, and they become bitter instead of better. God has given us the process of lament so that through every pain and suffering that we go through, we can become better. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, God wants you to be better. God wants you to be better. What is lament? You know, it, a lot of times we process lament wrong. And the way that we process it wrong is you can medicate pain away. How many of you know somebody that has medicated pain away through drinking or drugs or distractions? How many have done that themselves? You can try to ignore pain. You can only ignore pain so long. There's this video I always think of. There's this, like, woman. Never mind. Um, <laughs> who has a nail in her head, Ryan. Um, I've, I got to finish that thought because now you guys are going to think I'm weird. She has a nail in her head, and, uh, and she's talking to a guy, and she's like, I have this headache. And, and she says, and he says, well, you have a nail in your head. And she says, don't tell me my problems. And he's like, okay. And that's kind of like an inside joke. Anyway, <laughs> what's wrong with me today? Okay, um, we can isolate ourselves. When you go through pain, sometimes it's easier just to isolate yourself and get away from people. And that's not a good way to deal with pain. We can doubt God. We can blame God, get mad at God. And all of those things are human, but it's, it's not the Christian process to walk through pain and suffering. We can blame, we can dwell on it. God's given us a better way, and it's lament. Lament is a believer's way to process loss. And one of the, the, the phrases that stick out in my mind is, it is human to grieve, but it is Christian to lament. Only Christians can lament. And the reason why is this. Lament is a space one occupies in the tension of believing in an all-powerful, all-loving God. How many of you believe in an all-powerful, all-loving God? How many love God? And you know he loves you. And you know he's all-powerful. It's the space one occupies in the tension of believing in an all-powerful, all-loving God while experiencing pain. It's hard to experience pain if you believe in an all-loving, all-powerful God, and to, to, to hold the tension there. A lot of people will start doubting, does God really love me? Maybe I did something to deserve this pain. Because God is all-powerful and he's loving, but what I feel doesn't feel like love. Therefore, maybe God doesn't love me. How many of you have been there? I've been there. Lament is petitioning God with our grievances with an attitude of patience and confidence that he will answer our prayers. It's petitioning God with our grievances with an attitude of patience and confidence. It's anchoring our trust in a God who was faithful in the past and will be faithful to perform his promises in the future. How many of you know, if you love God, that you have more of an opportunity to be, to be hurt by God because you love him. 
Love opens up the door for pain. The more you love someone, the more you can experience pain from that person. And a lot of us love God, and when we experience pain and suffering in our lives, it can be more painful because of our love for him. Does that make sense? If you think about John the Baptist, he was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. And when he went to prison, why was he so hurt? Because he knew God was all-loving and all-powerful, but he was rotting in prison. And he saw people getting healed and set free and delivered, but he wasn't getting delivered. I, I believe John the Baptist heard Jesus. Jesus, when he was, when he was baptized and he came out of the, the wilderness, John the Baptist baptized him. He came out of the wilderness. He says, the Spirit of the Lord anointed me to preach deliverance to the captives. And I can just see John, and he's a captive, and he's in prison, and he's like, my, my cousin, my best friend Jesus, his whole ministry is to deliver the captives, and he has not delivered me. John loved Jesus so much, and when he went through pain, he was hurt by Jesus because of that disappointment. Mary's another one, Mary and Martha. Out of Mary and Martha, who loved Jesus more in Scripture? They loved Jesus in different ways, but Mary was the one that sat at his feet, was in love with Jesus. And when Jesus came after Lazarus died, the first words that Mary spoke, at first, she didn't even come out of the house. She was so hurt that Jesus didn't come earlier, that she didn't even come out of the house. And Jesus had to ask for her to come out. And the first words that she spoke to Jesus was, Lord, if you were here sooner, my brother would not have died. There was pain in her voice when she said it because she knew he was all-loving and all-powerful. And she knew if he came earlier that, her, that Lazarus wouldn't have died. But he chose not to come. And so it hurt her. How many of you have experienced hurt? A lot of times we're not honest about the hurt that we experience. But if you believe God is all-loving and all-powerful and you go through loss, there's a tension that you have to live with. There's a pain that you have to live with. And what lament is, is a quiet confidence that even though I'm going through pain and you're all-powerful and you're all-loving, that I trust you and I still love you and I believe you for a greater end. Only Christians can lament because only Christians believe that God is all-powerful and all-loving. If you don't believe God is all-powerful and all-loving and something bad happens to you, who cares? I'm not going to blame God because I don't believe in him, right? So this affects Christians. What is it to lament? Lament is to express our grief to God in our pain. Examples of lament. Job lamented when he lost his family, when he lost all his possessions, when he lost everything. It said he sat down in sackcloth and ashes for days. And then what did he do? It said that he got up and he worshipped. He worshipped in his pain. But it didn't stop there. For the whole book of Job, do you know what he's doing? He's talking to God. And he's telling God, why did you do this? I, I'm righteous. I do what's right. I have the right heart. Why did you allow this to happen to me? And he did that, but he had a quiet confidence in his heart. 
that God was good and God was loving. And in that quiet confidence of knowing God is all loving and all powerful, he's expressing, God, why did you let this happen? And a lot of us aren't brave enough to do that. We don't talk to God about our pain and we just say, God, maybe it's your will. And we don't talk to him. And when we don't talk to him, the relationship begins to break down. John the Baptist didn't have to send his disciples to talk to Jesus. But he kept the dialogue open and he told his disciples, can you go and tell Jesus, ask him if he's the one or if I should wait for someone else. What he was really saying was like, I'm pissed off at you that you're letting me rot in this prison. While you're... And you know what Jesus says? He says, go tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, and blessed is he who's not offended in me. Jesus is keeping dialogue open with John. And John is keeping dialogue open of his hurt with Jesus. And through that, John was lamenting in prison. In our pain and in our suffering, can we come to God honestly, say, I believe you're all-powerful, I believe you're all-loving. All I know you can, but why don't you? Are you guys feeling me this morning? I've wrestled with this, especially with what's going on in Lahaina and so much tragedy that has happened that I've seen in the past several years. Jesus said, blessed is he who's not offended with me. When, the, when, when tragedy happens in our lives, it opens up the door for blessing if we're not offended in him. We can yell, we can communicate, we can be angry, we can express ourselves honestly before God. But Jesus said to John, blessed is he who's not offended in me. If you look at both Job and David, when they experienced tragedy, they worshiped. In their lament, they worshiped. And the outcome at the very end was Job was restored double of what he lost. And David, although he lost a son, he gained a son, Solomon, which was the greatest son in all of Israel. God's end is so much better than our present. He has a purpose and a plan that's much greater than what we're experiencing. And if we hold on to him in our hurt and in our pain and are honest with him, he can work miracles in our lives. Amen. So how do we lament? How do we lament? There's four steps, and we can see this in Psalms 22. Psalms 22 is, if you, if you read through Psalms, many of them are laments. If you read through Lamentations, many of them are laments. If you read through the prophets, all of the prophets are during a time when Israel is experiencing the greatest hardship of their history. And the greatest promises of God are given in the deepest dis despairing times of Israel. Number one, share your pain with God. Everyone say that. Share your pain with God. A lot of us don't do this. But share your pain with God. How many of you in your families, your daughter or your son comes home and they, you know something's wrong? And, and you're like, what's, what's wrong? I don't want to talk about it. How many of you have ever experienced that? 
how does it feel when your husband, wife, when your kids don't want to talk to you about what's bothering them? Do you feel closer to them or do you feel like more distant? And in the same way, when we go through pain, God's invitation is, talk to me about it. Tell me about your pain. Tell me about your sorrow. Because what happens when, you op- when your, your child or your spouse opens up to you about what is bothering them? You feel closer. You feel a level of intimacy that increases. And some of the greatest opportunities for intimacy in a growing relationship is through tragedy, it's through suffering, it's through pain. And when you share that pain with someone close to you, you get closer. All pain is an opportunity to get closer to your parents, to get closer to your siblings, to get closer to your spouse, to get closer to your Lord, if you open up and you talk about it. Share your pain with God. Psalms 20, 20, 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? How many of you have felt that in your life before, that you don't feel close to the Lord? And when you don't feel close to the Lord, you're like, why should I even pray? Why should I even talk? He, he can't hear. I don't feel him. If that's the way you feel, then Tell him, God, I don't feel you're near. I pray, and it feels like you're not even around. The things that you're feeling, the pain that is there, be open about it. Talk to him about it. That's what David did. The second step is to recount his faithfulness in the past. Recount his faithfulness in the past. Even though you're honest and you you talk to God about how you feel, the second step is what David did in Psalms 22, 4 and 5. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. The second step in lament is not just being honest about what we're feeling now. But how many of you have felt the presence of God and seen his promises performed in your life, that he was faithful in the past? How many of you have? We all have. And the second step of lament is going back into the past and saying, God, when I prayed for this, you were there. When I needed you the most and it didn't seem like you were there, you were there. And you recount the faithfulness of God, and you talk to him, and you say, God, I'm not feeling you right now, but there was a time, could have been in college, or when you first got saved, or whatever, God, I felt so close to you back then, and I remember I would pray, and you would answer. My parents talked to me about the miracles that you performed, and then from that place of remembering the goodness of God, begin to reflect on the character of God that's displayed through that. I remember as a, and this is so important because what David did here is he started talking about what God was for the previous generation. And I remember stories my dad would tell about praying for somebody's teeth 
that had a cavity, and he watched the gold fill the person's teeth. I never saw that, but I remember him telling that's a true story, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now we got to go to the dentist. <laughs> he would tell me about praying for uh, his friend, praying for the gas tank in Texas, and then it being completely empty, and then it, it filling up. And I would hear stories of miracles that, that were performed. Th this whole property that we're on is a miracle because if, if my dad and mom had it their way, they would have purchased this property across the street from Lihikai. And God closed the door on that and then opened the door for this property with eight acres right next to it. And he would tell us stories of the faithfulness of God. And I, I tried to tell stories to my kids about the faithfulness of God so that they can recount it in their lives. God has shown his faithfulness. Number three, reflect on his character. Reflect on his character. So if he provided, then he is a provider. You know, one of the things that David said, Psalms 22, 3, he said, but you are holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. And, and this, this is something that David experienced in the past. I believe that David, he loved worship. He loved praise. And in this portion of scripture, he was like, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? When I call out to you, you're not there. But my, our ancestors cried out to you and you delivered them. They cried out to you in need, and you pulled them out of slavery. And he's recounting, and then he's saying, And you, O oh God, you are holy, the one who inhabits the praises of Israel. And, and I believe he's reflecting in those times as a shepherd, as he's playing worship music. And he's feeling the presence of God. And he's remembering the priests and the, the processions that happened in Israel's history where there is worship, 24-hour worship in the sanctuary, and God's presence would fall in the temple. And he's saying, God, I don't feel you, but you are holy, and you inhabit the praises of your people. And so he knows the character of God because of what God did in the past. And then it begins to direct and inform the decisions he makes through the rest of the chapter. And the last thing he does is he declares his trust in him for the future. And it's like this, God, I'm going through crap right now. I don't know what's going on in my life. You don't seem like you're there, but you are faithful in the past. And because you are faithful in the past, you are holy. You are righteous. You are trustworthy. And because you're holy, righteous, trustworthy, I can trust you for my future. And then he begins to praise God for the future. And that's the art of lament. We don't ignore it. We don't stuff it under a, a rug. We don't pretend it's not there. We're honest about the pain that we're feeling. But in the pain that we're feeling, we recount his goodness. We, we declare how it re reflects on his character. And then we let that inform our hope for the future. Does that make sense? This is such a powerful practice. And I can tell you the first time that I did this, I was on my bed waking up in the morning right after I read portions of scripture in, with this book. And it was during the whole time that we were helping residents of Lahaina and we saw what happened to Lahaina. 
And I was like half asleep, half awake, but I, I started and I was like, God, you could have saved that town. You, you could have diverted those winds. And now we're seeing people who have lost everything. There's been five people who've committed suicide. God, where are you? God, I'm hurting. Our island is hurting. You're supposed to be our protector. Why didn't you protect us? But then you don't leave it there. You begin to recount the goodness of God. But God, you've been faithful. God, you have been good in my life. God, even being a born on this island is a blessing. My breath is a blessing. My health is a blessing. Having a church that I can go to is a blessing. God, you are my provider. You're my shield. And because of that, I praise you, Lord, for the future that you have for this island, that you are a good God, and you're going to turn beauty from ashes, joy for my mourning, a garment of praise for this spirit of heaviness, that you're going to develop me as a tree of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that God, you would be glorified. And then can turn those prayers into God. Use our church. Use the churches on this island to be trees of righteousness. Plant us, Lord, on our island. Let people see, when they see us, that they would see peace, that they would see hope, that they would see mercy and forgiveness, that they would see peace in the midst of this storm. God, that you would be glorified. Bring people to yourself through this tragedy. Bring people to yourself through my life, through the life of Grace Bible Church, through the life of King's Cathedral, through the life of different ones who know you. Be glorified in my life. How many of you, that's the cry of your heart this morning, is that you want God to be glorified even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of pain, in the midst of loss, that you want God to be glorified in your life? How many of you? Can we all stand up? We're going to close with this song, The Goodness of God. But before we do, um, let's take communion. So you can take your communion cups out. God, we thank you, Lord, that you provided for us the model of lament. God, that you surrendered your life to the will of the Father, and you were honest with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. You said, if it is possible, take this cup and take it from me. You made, your, you made your will known to the Father, but then you said, not my will, your will be done. And God, even as your body was broken, Lord, it was broken for us that in our brokenness, Lord, we can find comfort and we can find peace. You just take the, the bread this morning. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken for me that through your broken body, I can find peace. I can find wholeness. 
that even as your body was resurrected from the dead, and the same spirit that rose your body from the dead, that spirit abides in me, and it can quicken me, and it can give me strength, and your power lives in me, and I thank you for your body, and I receive your healing in my life, in my relationships, in my mind, in my will, and in my emotions. I receive your healing today. In Jesus' name, you can take the bread. Repeat after me. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for the cup that represents your blood that was shed for forgiveness of my sin. I give my shame to you. I give my doubts to you. I give you every regret, every feeling of guilt. I thank you that you've washed me and you've covered me with your blood, that your righteousness is on me, that you've clothed me with your righteousness. And when the Father sees me, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my failures. He doesn't see my... He doesn't see my failings, but he sees your son. So thank you for this blood that washes me. In Jesus' name, you can take a cup this morning. Last things, dear Jesus, as I have received from you today, use me to be a blessing to those around me. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Let's sing this as we close.